Well, welcome tonight. Uh, you guys brave the cold. Our staff will be in the back. They have uh, frostbite ointment on your way out uh, for when you guys make your way to your cars. Man, it is cold today. Uh, well, my name is John. I'm one of the guys on staff here. Uh, glad that you guys did make it out. We're going to be uh, continuing our series uh, in the book of Proverbs. Uh, so if you've got your Bibles, open them up to Proverbs chapter 9. Proverbs chapter 9. We've titled this series, uh, Learn to Live. And uh, we've kind of explained, uh, it's kind of a play on words. Uh, we often say, like, you live and you learn. Uh, but Proverbs is going to say, hey, no, if you learn wisdom's ways, you'll actually lead to life. Um, also, I just want to let you guys know, uh, City Light U has a podcast. Um, so if you missed weeks, I know for some of you who are Creighton students, you came in a little bit later to this series. This is actually the third week in our Proverbs series. So if you want to go cut catch the first two messages, you can go to citylightomaha.org backslash citylightu. Our podcast link is on there, or you can look for us on iTunes. You can catch any of our previous series um, and catch up on any sermons that you might miss. Well, let me begin this way. For the last 17 years, there's been one television show that has dominated TV networks. For the last... 23 seasons, this TV show has inspired several spinoffs. It's captured the hearts of millions of people as we have watched their Emmy Award-worthy drama unfold. Of course, I'm talking about the renowned, the infamous TV show, the none other, The Bachelor. How many of you got? All right, there's some fans of The Bachelor. If you're unfamiliar with The Bachelor, you've probably been unwise and wasted your whole life. Uh, if you haven't caught any of the episodes, guess what? You live in the age of the internet where you can binge watch anything. Uh, you can go find it and watch all 23 seasons online. You'll, you'll be right next to Mel, who is chucking things at the TV uh, when Ben picks uh, uh, Lauren instead of JoJo. Right, Mel? Where are you at? Yes. Um, ask her about it later. She might have thrown something at her TV. Anyway, uh, if you're not familiar with this show, it's a reality TV show, right, where there's this bachelor who wants to marry a woman, and they bring a bunch of gals into this mansion, and they all take uh, the bachelor out on dates and treat him to fancy things, and one by one, the bachelor eliminates them off the show until they're, you're down to two ladies, two women, and the bachelor has to choose between the two who he's going to marry. Now... I wish I could tell you that The Bachelor is just this cheesy, horrible entertainment reality TV show that we could just be entertained by. But the Bible actually is going to present us with a real-life Bachelor TV show, or for you ladies, a Bachelorette TV show. Uh, in tonight's text, we're actually going to read about two figures, two figures that are after our affections, that are after our desires. They're attempting to woo us over in hopes that we will give them a rose and that they will be our spouse. These two figures in Proverbs chapter 9 are Madam Folly and Lady Wisdom. Now, I know that sounds like a cute metaphor, but this actually matters for us tonight. More than just entertainment is at stake here. It's a matter of life and death. And can I be honest and say that the choice presented before us is not so easy to make. It's not so easy 
to make. If you've ever watched the show, The Bachelor, which sounds like a bunch of you have, it's easy to pick somebody that you love, right? It's usually, you love, there's a particular girl that you're like, he's got to pick her or, or he's crazy, right? Especially when you get down to just two, the choice is obvious, right? You're just like, you've got to pick this girl. You've got to pick JoJo over Lauren. You're crazy, Ben, right? Uh, well, here's, here's what happens in the, the, the scriptures. These choices between Madam Folly and Lady Wisdom, it's an obvious choice. We should pick wisdom over folly. But here's the thing. If I'm honest in my own life, I struggle to make that obvious choice all the time. It's like I want to marry wisdom because she's what's best for me, but there are days where I still want to date folly. What I mean by that is, there's days where I want to be wise, right? I, I want to learn from my mistakes. I want to live righteously. I want to grow in discernment about the things that I have to, to choose. And then there's other days where I just want to be an idiot. I want to be foolish. I want to take the easy way out. I don't want to listen to what anyone has to say to me. I just, I want to sin even when I know it's wrong. I want to be a fool. It's almost like I, I want to cheat on wisdom with folly. I wonder if any of you have ever been there before where you know you should choose wisdom, but you choose folly instead. Well, here's the good news about tonight's text. Tonight's text is not only just going to say, hey, here's wisdom, choose wisdom. It's actually going to show us how do we choose wisdom and how do we reject folly? How do we say yes to wisdom and how do we say no to folly? Because wisdom's going to lead to life. Folly is going to lead to death. In our time together, I have two points that I want to make. I want to compare and contrast wisdom, lady wisdom, and, I want, and Madam Folly. I want to contrast these two ladies. And then, then I want to show us how we can respond to them and how we can respond to wisdom. So hopefully you found your place in the Bible. Proverbs chapter 9. I'm going to read the whole chapter. So buckle up and hang on. Here we go. Chapter 9, Proverbs. Wisdom has built her house. She has honed her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, she says, let him come in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the light of insight, in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and whoever reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is inside. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret 
is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. This is God's word. So if you notice in this text, in this chapter, there's three segments, and they're all split up into sections of six verses. The first six verses present us with wisdom. The, the, the middle section shows us how we can respond to wisdom in two different ways. And then the next six verses at the end present folly to us. But if you notice at the beginning and the end of the chapter, wisdom and folly are actually presented or personified as a woman. If you remember from lit one class, right? Personification is a literary device where you take something that's not alive and you give it life qualities, right? Like, so if a sailor is like, man, the ocean's calling my name. Well, the ocean's not literally talking to the sailor. He's giving human-like qualities to something that isn't alive. That's what personification means, and that's what the author's doing here in Proverbs. So in this case, wisdom becomes lady wisdom, and folly becomes madam folly. They take on female-like characteristics. In fact, if you zoom out of this chapter, and you were to read the first nine chapters of Proverbs, there's four different poems where wisdom is considered lady wisdom. She's per, uh, it's personified as this woman, this woman who is inviting people into a relationship with her, to know her, to live with her, and to live by her. Now, all you ladies in the room, I just want to speak to you for a moment. That doesn't mean Proverbs isn't for you. That doesn't mean the invitation isn't for you. A little bit of helpful context will help us understand this. One of the things that's um, good to remember is that Proverbs presents wisdom as a lady primarily because when Proverbs was first written, when it was first written, it was used kind of like a textbook for men, for young men who were going to be future leaders in Israel. But it was also used in the home. So parents, moms, and dads would teach their kids Proverbs, and that included both men and women. But here's the thing, and I feel like I can say this under considering the year that we live in, 2019, and I think you ladies would agree with me. Wouldn't our culture be an awesome place if boys stopped being idiots and moved to wise men and actually practiced what Proverbs teaches? If all the men in our culture became wise, our culture would go like this, right? I think we can say that in 2019. Likewise, leadership, whether you're a man or you're a woman, if a leader practices wisdom, it goes well for the country. So you understand why if men were primarily leading Israel back then, it was good for the men to be wise. And lastly, this is the John Randall interpretation, but I, I think wisdom is presented as a woman because we are meant to be attracted to her. We are meant to find her attractive. And let's just be honest women are the more attractive part of the species. Let's, that's just a fact. That's, I'm going to just say that. Um, so hopefully that gives you some context uh, for tonight for Proverbs 9. Uh, by way of transmi- trans- transmission, by way of transition, uh, again, I have two points tonight. Uh, I want to compare and contrast Lady Wisdom, Madam Folly, and then I want to talk about how we should respond to wisdom. So the first point, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. We need to desire lady wisdom and develop a distaste for Madam Folly. Desire lady wisdom and develop a distaste for Madam Folly. I'm going to reread the first six verses so that we can see this again. And then I'm going to jump to the end of Proverbs 9. And I'm going to read about Madam Folly so that you can see these back to back. 
Wisdom, this is verse 1, has built her house. She has honed her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn and hear. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. And then jumping down to verse 13, it says, The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. So let's do a little compare and contrasting. But before I get there, I feel like it'd be good for us to set up a definition of what is wisdom and what is folly. So this, is, this isn't like doctrine, but this is a helpful way, I think, to understand what wisdom and folly are. So a, def, a good definition of wisdom is it's knowledge applied to life circumstances. Wisdom isn't just knowledge. There's a lot of smart, dumb people who make really dumb decisions. It's knowledge applied the right way to life circumstances. Uh, folly is personal preferences applied to life circumstances. Whatever feels good, whatever seems right is what you do, and you apply it to right circumstances. Let me give you an analogy. So do you guys know those kids' toys uh, that have the little holes on top? There's a square hole, and then there's a circle hole, and then there's a triangle hole, and then you got the pegs that you drop in. you got a triangle peg, and it drops in the triangle hole, and you got a circle one, that circle hole, and a square one that drops in the square, right? Um, Wisdom would be like saying, hey, I'm going to take the triangle piece and I'm going to line it up with the triangle hole and I'm going to drop it in. Things are going to go well for you if you line up the holes in the right way. Wisdom, if you, if you apply the knowledge in the right way, things will go well for you. But if you're like my two-year-old who tries to take that square peg and just cram it into the, the circle hole, it's not going to go well for you. It doesn't go well for her. It doesn't fit, Right? See, wisdom is not God's advice. Say, hey, take it or leave it. No, wisdom is God's invitation to you to say, hey, I've set up the world to work in a particular way. If you would follow these patterns, things would go well for you. It's an invitation for us. Just like that toy is designed in a particular way to work, God's designed the world to work in a particular way. And if we would respond to his invitation in worship, we would conform to that pattern. So in this context, wisdom and folly take on the figure of a woman. They are personified as women, and they're similar, and they're different, right? So how are they the same? Let's look at some ways that they're the same. Both ladies have a house. You see that in verse 1, and you see that in verse 14. Both ladies make an invitation to the simple, Right? You see that in verse 4 and verse 16. Both ladies are at the highest point in the city, which means everyone would have heard their voice being at the highest point in the city. So verse 3 and verse 14 show that. Both are offering some sort of food. You see that in verse 5 and verse 17. Well, how are they different? There's ways in which they're uh, drastically different. Uh, Wisdom's house is actually bigger than Folly's house. How do I know that? 
because it says about Wisdom's house that she has seven pillars, and the other, well, Folly's house doesn't have that. We're going to come back to what the seven pillars are, but right now you just need to know that that means her house is way more uh, awesome than Folly's. Wisdom has has prepared her meal. But if you notice, Folly stole her meal. You'll see that in verse 2 and verse 17. Wisdom tells the simple, hey, you need to leave your simple ways if you're to come in and enjoy this meal that I have for you. But Folly doesn't say anything. So it's assumed that Folly says, hey, you can come in here and be who you are and keep your life as is. Wisdom offers life and insight, but Folly offers death and spiritual blindness. Notice at the end of that text, the the man who has walked in to dine with Madame Folly doesn't even know the debtor there. He's blind to that. If I could put it in a nutshell, I would say it this way. I would say both women are offering a date night at their house with a meal. But one of those meals ends in life. The other meal ends in death. Okay, so what does that mean, right? We've unpacked the text. How are we supposed to interpret this? There are several ways we could go here. There's several uh, things we could observe in the text and draw out. But the main point that I want us to see here, the main point that I think the, the writer of Proverbs is going at is he's trying to show that both women are after the desires of our hearts. They're after the affections and desires of our hearts. The houses that they present to us, the invitations that they give to us, the meals that are presented before us are meant to show that there is something inside of us that should be attracted, that is attracted, that desires wisdom and unfortunately desires folly. Let me illustrate it this way. If I were to get a text from my wife saying, hey, date night tonight, come home. And I come home and the house is all spick and span clean. There's candles on the table. She's worked really hard all day on this prime rib. And she's saying, hey, like, let's have a date night. This is awesome, right? Am I going to, am I going to like be like, hey, I don't really desire to do this right now. I I think I'm going to go catch some McDonald's and I'll see you later. Like, no, like there's something in me that says, yes, I want to be in that place. I want to eat that meal. I want to be with my wife in that moment. However, I'd be lying to you if I didn't say that if somebody were to hit me up with some DMs in my inbox and say, hey, come over to my house, I have Raisin Cane's, I'm not going to lie, I, I, I would be tempted to go do that. I, there is something sinful in me that desires Raisin Cane's. Like, I want to eat that chicken, right? Well, my freshman year of, of college, I felt this tension, I felt this tension between folly and between wisdom. See, there was a part of me that wanted to be wise. There was a part of me that was like, man, I'm going to go to every class in college. I'm going to get up at 6 a.m. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to work out. I'm going to like make the best of my day. I'm going to find a Jesus-loving girl. We're going to pursue purity. I'm going to avoid the party scene, the whole nine yards, right? I'm going to be wise. And then there was another part of me. There was another part of me that wanted to sleep in till it was like noon, that only wanted to go to class when there was a test and skip the rest, who wanted to read ESPN before I read my Bible, who wanted to find that girl who said, yeah, I'm a Christian, but would compromise on everything else and would come to the parties with me so that I could enjoy the pleasures of living like a fool. I wanted to live a wise life, but I also wanted to live foolishly. See, I think for most of us, we want 
to desire wisdom. In fact, we want to desire it all the time. But the problem is, deep down, there's something in us that desires folly. In fact, I would argue this, that you and I in this room, apart from Jesus, we are incapable of not desiring folly. We will always naturally go towards folly because of our sinful nature. Apart from Jesus Christ, you and I will end up in Madame Folly's house. And so, what do we do? How can we develop a distaste for folly and choose wisdom? Well, the short answer is, we need a new heart. We need a new heart from Jesus. We need a heart that desires wisdom. Only a new heart from Jesus comes with the capability of saying no to folly. That's, we need to ask Jesus for a new heart. Do you guys realize that's what it means to become a Christian? Like to be a, a Christian is meaning you've acknowledged to Jesus, hey, there is something fundamentally wrong with my heart. And if you don't know what the heart is, the heart is like the driver's seat of all of who you are. Like picture a spaceship and you got all these buttons that you got to turn on before, you, before it like goes, right? Um, you know, uh, you might have uh, the engine light. You might have the brakes. You might have all these things that you got to start to get that engine to, uh, or to get that spacecraft to go. Well, your heart is kind of the same way. You've got all these buttons and that make up who you are, your emotions, your thought life, uh, the things that you actually desire, the things that you actually choose to do. Your heart is the seat that drives all of those things. And so to be a Christian says there's something messed up in that area. My emotions are messed up because of my heart. My mind is messed up because of my heart. My desires are messed up because of my heart. The things I choose to do in life are messed up. I need a new heart. And so you go to Jesus and you say, would you give me your heart so that I could choose wisdom? That's what it means to be a Christian. And Jesus offers that new heart for us on the cross by giving up his own heart and dying for us. And then once we get this new heart, We need to actually train that heart every day to desire wisdom over folly. I think something I missed the first time I read this is I just assumed that, hey, Madam Folly makes her case for why you should come and dine in her house. And then Lady Wisdom makes her case for why you should come to dine in her house. And then you get to make the decision. But once you make the decision, it's a done deal, right? If you choose to go to Madam Folly, oops, too late, you're done. If you choose to go to Lady Wisdom, great, right? Um, but that's actually not the way this text is presented. This text is presented, the truth of this invitation is that Madam Folly and Lady Wisdom present their case every day. They present their case every day for why you should dine. In other words, every day we have to choose to be wise over being foolish. Guys, this means it's going to take time. In fact, it's going to take a lifetime to learn to desire wisdom over folly. Well, I want to be practical tonight. How can we train our hearts to desire wisdom and develop a distaste for folly? Let's turn back to the text and see what it tells us. In verse 1, it says this, Wisdom has built her house. She has honed her seven pillars. Remember I said we're going to come back to those seven pillars. Seven pillars just meant that her house was awesome, had a bunch of pillars up front. So it was bigger and nicer and fancier than Madame Folly's. But that number seven is also key. The number seven in Jewish culture or Jewish thought would have meant two things. One, it would have meant perfection. 
But it also uh, uh, was akin or similar to uh, the fact that God created the world in seven days. So what does that mean? Well, in a nutshell, what it means is this. It's that wisdom is woven into the fabric of human existence to the point where if you are wise, it doesn't just lead to a good life, but the way of wisdom leads to a life the way it was meant to be lived. The way you were originally created to live is the way of wisdom. See, I think one of the great lies of the enemy is this, that if you follow God's ways, then your life is going to be miserable and everything you do is going to be boring and joyless. But notice what Lady Wisdom offers here. It's better than what Madame Folly offers. It's a bigger house. It's a better meal. It leads to life, not death. What she offers is better. What God offers you is better than anything the world is going to offer you. God is not giving you wisdom to constrict your life. God is giving you wisdom so that you can get the most out of life. One thing I've done to help me remember this is in my prayer life, I've tried to add this into uh, everything I pray, and it's this. Every day I want to pray, God, help me to remember that you have my best interest in mind. Help me to remember that you have my best interest in mind. That doesn't mean my day is always going to be awesome. That doesn't mean everything's going to be easy and bright. But it means that in all circumstances, God has offered me a wisdom that is for my best interest, that is for my good. And if I walk in it, I will know the joy that God is offering me. So if that's how we desire wisdom, how can we develop a distaste for folly? Well, in verse 17, it says, stolen water is sweet. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. In other words, folly is fun. It's attractive in the beginning. And then over time, it starts to lose its flavor. Over time, folly will eventually rob you of life and lead you into isolation where you're all alone. To live foolishly will eventually cost you, right? If you make dumb health decisions, if you make dumb decisions with money, eventually that's going to cost you. It might be fun in the beginning, but it will eventually rob you. And you'll get to a point where you're alone and in despair, and that's where the enemy loves to come in and lie to you. And that's where the enemy loves to say things like, see, I told you you would blow it. I told you you were a failure. You're all on your own. No one's going to dig you out of this. No one cares about you. You're alone. City like you don't believe that foolishness will somehow enhance or bring joy to your life. It's a mirage. It will cost you your life. And don't listen to the lies of the enemy that if you did go down the way of foolishness, that you are somehow banished to be alone. No. The way in which we actually fight or the way in which we learn to have a distaste for folly is we do this together. One of the things that has been helpful for me, the one of the ways I lead my heart to develop a, and train it to have a distaste for folly is to be open and honest with others about the way in which I'm tempted to be foolish. Here are areas in my life where I can be an idiot. Would you help me? Would you speak gospel truth into my life? If you fight temptations, if you fight the temptations of Madam Folly on your own, you will end up alone. We develop a distaste for folly together. Desire lady wisdom and develop a distaste for Madam Folly. That's point one. Point two is this. Do not ridicule lady wisdom's invitation, but receive her instruction. Do not ridicule Lady Wisdom's invitation, but receive her instruction. Let's read verses 7 through 12. 
in Proverbs 9. It says this. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and whoever reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. And I'll be honest, when I first read that part, I was like, why is this here? Like, why didn't he just go from Lady Wisdom to Madam Folly? Why are these verses in here? Well, it seems kind of out of place, but if you actually look at verses 7, 8, 9, you'll see how you should and how you should not respond to wisdom. You should not respond to wisdom with scoffing. Scoffing is wicked. At its worst, scoffing is brash arrogance. At its best, it is smug cynicism. Scoffing is like, the modern equivalent of scoffing is the internet troll, right? You just, you've always got something to say about someone else, right? You see through everything until eventually you see nothing, right? Um, or the, the text says that the scoffer is constantly offended by what other people say to them. When anyone tells them they're wrong, they're unteachable. They cannot be corrected. We should respond, though, to Lady... We shouldn't respond to Lady Wisdom with scoffing. Instead, we should actually respond to Lady Wisdom with wisdom. We should be wise in how we respond. To act wise is to actually act righteously. It's to say, hey, this is the right thing to do in life's circumstances. Unlike the scoffer, the wise person is humble enough to be corrected. And he welcomes input from wise people. Verses 10 and 12, they, they kind of build on this idea. And they say that if we want to be wise and not a scoffer, then the base place of where we start from is actually a fear of the Lord. To fear the Lord means we have an awe. We have a wonder about who God is. But it's not like, hey, I have an awe and I have a wonder. Now let's go sing a song. No, it's, hey, I have an awe and I have a wonder to the point where I'm saying, God, I will submit to you in every area of my life because I have a reverence for you. That's a word that's lost in our culture. There's a respect towards God to say that, God, you own it all and you own me as well. That's what it means to fear the Lord. So how do you know that you're fearing the Lord? Well, the text actually says this. Are you teachable? Are you humble? Are you open to receive instruction and correction on life from others, especially who are wise? If you are, it's a good indication that the fear of the Lord is present in your heart. After my freshman year in college, uh, things did not go too well for me for the next uh, about year and a half. Uh, I did foolish thing after foolish thing after foolish thing. Um, I flirted a lot with sin. I don't know if anybody of you, any of you guys can relate, but I lived kind of that double life, right? Where I, I went to church a lot. I read my Bible, I could geek out over theology and weird stuff. And then over here, I had this life where it was like, I didn't care what I did with my money, I just spent it how I want. I didn't care what I did with my sexuality, I looked on the internet at what I want. I didn't, I didn't care about what I was doing uh, towards other people, I just kind of did what I wanted. But I think worse than that is that I became a scoffer. 
I, I became this hypercritical person of the church and Christians. Everything out of my mouth was something that I was against rather than something that I was for. And I was good at justifying myself because if somebody called me out on that, I'd love to play devil's advocate and argue, and I'd love to humiliate that person in an argument. And to make matters worse, I was actually blind to all this. See, scoffing actually sets you up for foolishness because the fool is blinded to the fact that he is in the company of people who are headed towards destruction. A scoffer is right behind the fool, headed in the same direction. But I remember uh, one time in particular where I uh, applied to volunteer at this youth group with a buddy of mine who was a youth pastor there, and being the arrogant scoffer and jerk that I was, I was thinking, hey, who's not going to want me? I know all of this Bible knowledge. They're going to love me. But I was so foolish um, that I wouldn't even hired me back then. In fact, I would have probably had choice words with me back then and probably would have laid out some abuse. Um, but anyway, my, my friend was gracious to me. He took me out for coffee and he sat me down and he said, listen, bro, I'm not going to bring you on staff. Your life is a mess. You are the scoffer of Proverbs 9. You are constantly calling out things in the church. You have a hypercritical, cynical spirit towards other people, and yet you don't even live like a Christian. You are a fool. And if you keep going down this road, it's going to lead to disaster. And I, I can't tell you why I responded the way I did. I think it's only by the grace of God that I did not respond like a scoffer and turn my nose up at him. But the grace of God met me in a powerful way. And in that moment, I said, you're right. I'm a mess. I need to repent. Would you walk with me? Would you keep me from foolishness? Would you turn me on the path of wisdom? And God did a work in my life starting in that coffee shop because of that wise friend who chose to rebuke me. City Light you, where are you in Proverbs 9? We're all born into this world as a simple person. That just means we lack understanding because we haven't lived long enough, Right? But all of us in this room, we have a choice to make. If we choose to stay simple, then we'll get swept away by scoffers and become fools. But if we choose to give up our simple ways, then we can receive wisdom. So where are you in this chapter? Are you the scoffer? Do you struggle with criticism and cynicism? What, what is an area of your life that you are refusing to be teachable and humble about? Are you wise? Do you fear the Lord? What is an area of your life that you need to learn and grow in and become even more wise? If we are to be wise, then we must not ridicule Lady Wisdom's invitation, and we must receive her instruction. Let me close this way. Lady Wisdom calls out to us to come into her house and enjoy the bread and enjoy the wine that she has made. She presents before us a meal, a meal that can lead to life. What is this meal? What is this meal that she offers to us? Well, in John 6, I think we get a picture of the meal that wisdom offers us. It says this, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. 
Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that the one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Guys, the ultimate invitation of wisdom is to come in and know Jesus. Jesus is the meal. Jesus is what wisdom ultimately offers. So if we want to be wise and we want to receive what wisdom offers, we need to receive Jesus. He's the one who our life depends on. He is life itself. He is the one who leads to everlasting life. The man or woman here today who says, I'm going to trust Jesus with my whole life is the wisest person among us. If you're here tonight and you've never trusted in Jesus, or maybe you didn't really know what Jesus was offering tonight, would you trust him and receive life? If you're a Christian, here's the hope for you. Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, you know what we're doing on day one in heaven? Jesus is going to prepare a banquet and he's going to set up a meal that has food you've never tasted. And he's going to open up wine bottles that you have never drank. And we are going to have the best meal the world has ever known. And that is going to be what we will experience. May we receive the invitation of Lady Wisdom and find life in Jesus. And may we reject the advances of Madam Folly, who seeks to destroy our life. Let's pray. God, tonight, may your words speak. God, we pray this often here at City Light because we believe it to be true. God, that when your word is spoken, we believe that the Holy Spirit moves on those words. God, that the gospel, literally the words of the gospel according to Romans, are the power of God to those that are being saved. So, oh God, tonight I pray that you would break through in power. That the gospel, the life death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the good news that Jesus came to save unwise, foolish scoffers like me and like those of us in this room. God, that we could turn to you in repentance, that we could live wise and righteous lives for you because of the new heart that you want to give us through your son. Oh God, with that gospel truth, do a work in our hearts tonight. And God, may you receive all the glory. May we leave this place with the joy of Christ on our faces and a song in our heart, praising you, God, that you have not left us to figure out wisdom on our own, but that you sent your son, who is wisdom himself, to dwell in us and change us from the inside out. Oh God, this week, would we choose wisdom and would we reject folly? It's in your son's mighty name that I pray. Amen.